I'm Lindsay Barra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. This is part one of our conversation with American middle distance runner Emma Coburn, who specializes in the steeplechase. During this unique 3,000-meter event, runners must clear 28 fixed barriers and seven water jumps, which Coburn does while maintaining a 440-mile pace. She's a three-time NCAA champion, a six-time All-American, a nine-time U.S. national champion, a world champion, and a three-time Olympian. She runs seven days a week with no days off and hits the gym three times a week for strength training, which she often does barefoot to strengthen her feet for running. Coburn is also a foodie with an affinity for brunch food like pancakes and French toast, and she is the author of The Runner's Kitchen, a cookbook that promotes an everything-in-moderation approach to help athletes of all levels fuel their active lifestyles. Hey, Emma, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am just peachy. Where are you? I am in um, Crested Butte, Colorado, where uh, I grew up and where my parents live, so I'm at their house right now. Cool. Is that, do you live there? Um, I spend like six months a year here training. So it's at high altitude. So it's really good, um, for that. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm here until like the end of the summer. Yeah. It's too snowy for me to be here year round, but I come as soon as the snow melts. And what is the altitude there? Uh, 9,000 feet. That's pretty high. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And where do you go when you're not in Crested Butte? Um, I live the other half of the year in Boulder in Colorado. So, um, still, you know, somewhat high, but not, not this. Are you, um, in your running season yet? Um, I won't start racing for another, um, couple weeks. Like I won't start racing till mid-May, but, uh, yeah, we're in the, the heat of, you know, training and all of it is really, um, you know, super dialed in important work that we're doing right now. And then, uh, we'll start racing at the end of May. And then I race until early September. That's a good season. And who do you train with up in Crested Butte? Um, so my husband coaches a team of about 10 women. Um, he also coaches the guy, uh, Scott Fobble, who was the top American at Boston marathon this last weekend. Um, and so, yeah, there's right now, eight of us girls in Crested Butte, um, training and the girls all live in Boulder as well, but they come up here for a month for training camp. And, uh, we, uh, uh yeah, there's eight of us here. So he, he's busy. He could, he's busy with that, but, uh, yeah, we call ourselves team boss. Cause my husband's last name is boss hard. So <laughs> that's our crew. Um, I'm always intrigued when the wife coaches the husband or the husband coaches the wife. How long has he been your coach for? He started coaching me at the end of 2016. So it's been, it's been quite a while. Um, he, I left my, um, I, I won a bronze medal at the Rio Olympics and Mm -hmm. then, um, needed to leave my training group that I was in. And so my husband volunteered to coach me and we just thought we'd give it a year to kind of see if we hated it or not. And then that following year I won the world championships so we were like, oh, it's working out pretty well. And uh, yeah, we have a good dynamic with it. So I think we get asked all the time, you know, how, how that works. And I think we're both not very emotional or reactive people. And so I think, you know, neither of us are very sensitive. We're both pretty tough. Um, and then there's just like a lot of trust. So we just trust that the other person's doing their best. 
and um you know it it's it works pretty seamlessly are the other girls that you're training with i assume that they all run different events they're not all steeplechasers yeah so we have people from like the 800 all the way up to the marathon um and my husband he's been pretty successful like with with all those different distances um he coached a girl who was ranked second in the world in the 800 last year and then coached a girl that was the got second place at the Chicago Marathon also <laughs> excuse me last year so mm-hmm. kind of covers the spectrum and um he had five olympians in Tokyo um that he coached so yeah he he has quite the spectrum and it's it's nice cuz the girls we we overlap most of the time um obviously there's certain workouts and certain times that we don't but for the most part we can overlap in you know 90% of our training which is nice and you always have a buddy for easy training too, which is good. Yeah. I I mean, I assume that you're not going to do the 20 mile runs with the marathoners and they're not going over fixed hurdles with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a few times it's specialized, but like he's, um, and, and it's important to like, you know, define what my strengths are and like be able to really push those in practice. And those might not sync up with what other people need, but we really can overlap for a lot. And, um, really 1500 to 5k that work is similar enough most of the time that you can do a lot together and then kind of deviate our 800 girl and our marathon girl have never worked out together beyond just running easy (laughs) days together but the rest of the girls that are in the middle we can kind of you know do a little bit with everyone it's so funny because short people do not like to go long and the long people, you know, don't want to <laughs> yeah. sprint. So it's pretty I know, funny. I know. <laughs> um, so obviously steeplechase is your event. Can you just give a quick explanation to our listeners who may have, you know, be thinking of horses tell us just what this very unique race entails? Yeah. So the steeplechase is uh, 3000 meters of hurdling. So it's a distance event. Um, 3000 meters is a little less than two miles and it's uh, seven and a half laps around a track. So we compete in the same track stadium that you see in the Olympics. Um, and then every lap we hurdle four times. Um, but there are these big fixed barriers that are called steeple barriers and they're black and white stripes. So if you have ever seen those around, um, so we hurdle four times and then there's every lap, a water jump, which is a 10 foot water pit that we have to jump hurdle over and jump over. So it's a super, uh, it's very unique and it's, it's a little peculiar, but it really combines, um, almost like the, the athleticism required for like a jumping field event with the endurance required with a distance event. And so it, it kind of, there's unique people that thrive in it and you have to be a little bit athletic. You have to be a little bit, uh, fearless because of the, um, you know, the hurdling that if you hit a barrier, you, you're just going to crash and fall down. The barrier doesn't move like it does in the regular hurdles. Um, and the water jump you're flying and, and you're in a pack of women all jumping off the same thing at the same time. So it's a little chaotic, a little crazy. I recommend, going to YouTube and, um, you know, typing in steeplechase and you'll see it, you'll see it. And it's a very exciting race to watch as a spectator, because there's such opportunity for chaos and, uh, falling and all of that. But then it's also, you know, if you're a distance runner and you love how a distance race 
builds and that anticipation kind of develops. And as the lap goes on, it gets more and more tense. Like that is still true in a steeplechase. So it's kind of the best of both worlds, I think, in, in my mind. And I've been doing it since high school. And I just, yeah, I love it. I run other events for fun sometimes. But yeah, the steeplechase definitely is what I'm best at and kind of what I love the most. I do want to say for people that this is a distance event. It's just under two miles, but it really only takes nine minutes or less. So yeah, it's not yeah, like you're, yeah. it's not it's like not you're watching for hours and hours. It's nine minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's nine minutes. And to put it in perspective, we're running like 440 per mile pace Amazing. or four or 445 per mile um, while hurdling and jumping over stuff. So it's, it's pretty um, intense and yeah, it's, it's nine minutes of, of drama. That's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. So you said you started it in high school. Um, I don't imagine that you grew up thinking I want to be a steeplechaser. What drew you to this race? How'd you get into it? So I grew up in a small mountain town in Colorado called Crested Butte. And the school is so small that kind of every kid is really encouraged to just participate in every sport. So I played basketball and volleyball and hockey Um, Those were the team sports I did alongside of, you know, track and cross country. But then I also outside of school would ski and snowboard and um, mountain bike and hike and just be really active and physical. And so um, I, I always ran track and I was good at it, but just, you know, being in a small town, you don't really know how great you are just because you're winning your small races. Um, But then my dad signed me up for the steeplechase one day, my junior year because it was the only event offered, um, to where I could double enter. I wanted to run an 800 and the only event that I could also, you know, compete again in was a steeplechase. And it was a meet out of state and I had never seen it. I had never tried it and I did it. And it just clicked right away because it reminded me of going in like the footwork required for the steeplechase and the water pit kind of reminded me of going in for a layup in basketball or going in for a hit in volleyball. And the flying wasn't intimidating because I did that skiing. You know, there were just a lot of things that felt really natural to me based on my background growing up kind of as an active kid in the mountains. And um, luckily I did well enough to get recruited to run in college. And I wasn't really good enough in other events to be, you know, competitive at a D1 level, at least like my high school times weren't that good, but I ended up going to the university of Colorado and had coaches that really kind of nurtured my training. And I, I pretty quickly thrived in other events as well. And they really kind of brought everything up to the correct level and uh, yeah, did it in college. And then my junior year made the Olympic team in 2012 Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, haven't looked back since I've, I've been a pro since 2013. I love that your dad was just like, I'm just going to stick her in this. <laughs> oh yeah. He, he drove to, um, the meet was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And in Colorado, we don't have the steeplechase in high school. So we drove to Albuquerque from Colorado, which is a long drive. And he was like, no, we're not driving on this way to run two laps. Like that's, that's a waste of our time. So he's like, what else can we do? And he saw this steeplechase. He was like, I think that's where they jump and they fly a little bit. And you could do that. I was like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, just my dad's um, need for efficiency and, uh, you know, his curiosity really, you know, was the reason I have the career I have now. That's really funny. 
So you, you mentioned that you're training with this group of girls kind of led by your coach slash husband. What does your training look like on a daily basis at, at this point in the season? Yeah. So really I have three hard days a week and then four easy days a week, but my easy days are still about 14 miles, 12 to 14 miles. So, um, right now I'm running 90 miles this week and I'll have this morning I did 10 miles and this afternoon I'll go out and run four more. Um, and so Sunday, Tuesday, Friday are workout days where we might be at the track doing sprints or we might be, um, on the roads doing a hard timed long run at a prescribed pace. Um, and so those, those days are intense and we are, we do our workout and then we lift weights for an hour and then we nap and then we go run another four miles. So those days are pretty, um, tough and add up to, you know, 15 miles or something. And then my easy wow. days are gentle recovery pace, but just a lot of miles at it. So, you know, some days it's as little as eight, some days it's 14, um, but just, you know, gentle, easy running, um, and lots of naps and lots of eating. What's gentle, easy running for you? <laughs> well, <laughs> really anywhere, anywhere between like seven minute pace and eight minute pace. Um, so today it was pretty windy and we were sprinting yesterday. So my run this morning was 755 pace and there's no ego in that. And it's just really trying to give my body as much rest and recovery as it needs. Um, this afternoon on my four mile run, if it's not windy, I might run seven fifteen pace and that will feel easy and relaxed. I think a lot of, um, a lot of runners and I've been guilty of this, like tend to just ignore the, the weather or ignore if they're feeling tired and they just know, okay, if every day I run 10 a minute pace, no matter how tired I am, I have to force my body to do that. Um, and I think you have to listen a little bit to your body more and go with, the environment and the weather and kind of just let it, let it happen and not really have an ego about it. So yeah, my, my pace changes a little bit. So you're talking about basically 14 miles as a recovery day. I think most people would be like, okay, she's cuckoo. Do you have any (laughs) um, days a week where you actually do nothing? I don't take any days off. Um, I, in fact, like last week had a cold. That's why I, I think we were supposed to speak last week and I had to postpone a week. because I was like, I don't have a voice for a podcast right now. Um, and I still just ran like 90 miles of easy running. Um, and so for me, because I don't, my only job is to run, you know, I don't have to get my run and then drop my kids at school and then go to the office. And, you know, so really my, my energy can be fully spent on a 14 mile easy day. And a nap and eating well. And that's like a true, true recovery for my body. Cause I'm, I'm used to it. And then again, I don't have the other life stresses that so many non-professional athletes have to deal with that yeah. takes, you know, takes that energy away. These, uh, three hour long lifting sessions that you mentioned on those hard days, what, what kind of stuff are you doing in the gym? Um, it, it kind of varies. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's, you know, heavy deadlifts and it's, um, you know, we're trying to, I can deadlift double my body weight. And it's like, there's times of year that that's useful and you're kind of building back up and you're trying to, um, develop that. So sometimes it's really more traditional lifts, like, like a deadlift. And then 
Other times it's a lot of uh, single leg um, lifts. So like single leg squats or, um, you know, skater squats or uh, single leg balancing drills or box jump single leg, like just really challenging my body to uh, be strong and even. I think a lot of runners can have one side of their body that's weaker than the other. So making sure that you're doing single leg lifts can really um, one highlight which side is weaker and let you know what, what one you have to work on, but then also you're not able to compensate, you know, by doing two legs on the ground. So single leg stuff, um, some, you know, more explosive dynamic exercises with lighter weight, like med ball hooks or, um, you know, uh, dumbbell presses just with light weight and, and a little bit more like jumping and active. Um, so it's pretty dynamic. Um, my husband writes a lift for us and he is, uh, he's pretty good at it and we stay, you know, relatively healthy, but it definitely changes as the year go as the year goes on, you know, when we're not doing intense workouts, um, on the track, our gym sessions are probably a little bit harder, a little bit, you know, longer reps, um, more, more, more weight, more reps, all of it. And then as our track sessions get more intense, it becomes a little bit less because we don't need that stress to be too much. If we're really trying to focus on the track. I know a lot of runners, especially casual amateur runners, they always say, I know I should do strength training and I never do it. It's like a struggle for most runners to do it, but how important has is strength training overall to your training and your performance? I, I think it he- keeps me pretty healthy. Um, you know, like all runners, I've had little things pop up here and there, but I think in running, we're, we're just doing the same motion over and over again. And we're always in that front plane and we're always just, um, running. Most people run the same pace all the time. I mean, as a, as a pro we're, we're mixing up our paces all the time, but a lot of people just get out their door and they run the same pace every time. So you're putting an identical stress on your body every single day. And that alone, no matter how much you're training, that is going to deteriorate your body. And so I think it's really important for not only like developing better form and getting faster, but I think in terms of just injury prevention, strength training is super important. Um, honestly, I think so many people, if they just did, um, like split stance squats and plank and deadlift, if they, if they have someone who can make sure their form's good, like you don't have to really do anything too crazy, but a good plank is always a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, and then split stance squats, it's because you're in a split stance, um, I find that you're less likely to kind of hurt your back versus maybe a, a regular deadlift. Um, and just some super easy exercises. I mean, I even just will use big power bands and use that as resistance and do RDLs and do, um, really simple movements that I don't even need weights for, for good resistance. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's crucial. And it also just the runners I know that never lifted, the recreational runners that I know that have never lifted and then they start lifting, they all are like, Oh my gosh, wow. I'm so lean now. I have such big, like I'm so toned and defined. And I think, especially as women, we 
succumb to the myth that like, if you, if you lift weights, you're going to become bulky. But I think if you're running a lot and, and that's always been your form of exercise, if you can lift a little bit, it really changes how your body looks and feels. Um, and yeah, it's invaluable for me. you're talking a lot about split stance squats and, and, you know, RDLs, those kind of things. Um, I think that also a lot of runners and just people in general don't, don't realize that when you're running, you're basically never on two feet. It's, it's a balance exercise from one foot to the other. So you need to kind of train on one foot because you're never going to have two feet on the ground. It's not something that people really think about. Most sport is played on one leg at a time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I think like, some people also just have like one bad knee or one bad ankle that they've always had issues with. And if you can really strengthen all the other things around that, that bad hip or bad knee or bad ankle, if you can strengthen all your muscles around that, you'll move way more functionally. And that, um, dysfunction when you are on that one leg, when you're running, when that leg hits the ground every time, it will be way more productive. You know, that's if one, the pain will be less, but then you'll, you'll also be more powerful. You'll be more efficient. Um, yeah, exactly what you said. You're never on two feet standing (laughs) still. So you got to kind of work on it, uh, individually. I, I noticed a post on your Instagram where you were doing your lift barefoot. What do you, uh, like about that? Do you do that a lot? I, yeah, I almost always lift barefoot. Um, the only time I have shoes on is if I have to go like do med ball huts outside or something, but Um, I, I think it's really, when I'm home, I walk around barefoot. Like I think strengthening my feet in, um, a casual way of walking around barefoot all the time and, um, using my feet in the gym. I like that feeling of kind of having my toes separated. I like, will typically take my socks off. Um, but having my toes like separated and I can feel the ground and I'm pushing through the ball of my foot and my heel. And I'm making sure I have a strong, like tripod foot when Mm -hmm. I'm lifting. Um, I find that that keeps my feet when I'm running more healthy. If I'm always wearing a shoe, if I'm always, I mean, I run for new balance, they make awesome shoes, but if I'm always in a shoe, my foot is going to just like atrophy, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's never going to get strong. And so I do specific little foot exercises too, but so many of so many people I know just all the time around their house are walking around in slides or slippers or, or shoes. And then they end up with planter issues. And I'm like, well, did did you ever just walk around barefoot and strengthen your foot for the 12 hours a day that you're awake walking around your house? I mean, obviously if you work in an office, that's probably not acceptable, (laughs) but, but I think, um, lifting barefoot for me, um, forces me to really be more intentional with how I'm moving my feet and ankles and and lower legs, which is so important for running. And, um, yeah, it's just a great way to really, uh, work on that foot strength. I would certainly drop a 25 pound plate on my bare toes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, also like most public gyms don't really want you to be barefoot. So I get that that's not, uh, ideal, but, uh, yeah, I definitely get people messaging being like, I'm so nervous. You're going to drop something. I was like, well, so far I haven't knocked on wood. Wait, this is a totally random aside, but, um, 20 years ago when I first started working in New York city, I used to commute with this woman who worked 
um, in the West Village and she went to the Equinox down in the West Village and she told me this hysterical story about how Lenny Kravitz kept getting in trouble for walking barefoot on the treadmills at Equinox. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, I mean, I feel like Equinox should have just given Lenny a free pass, you know, or like, like let him do whatever. Like designate a certain treadmill. This is the Lenny treadmill. So if you're skied yeah. by his foot fungus, don't go on this one. Yeah. Or like make Lenny's assistant then come in and wipe it down with a Clorox wipe or something. Like it's, <laughs> there's solutions to let Lenny be himself. Yes. Let Lenny be Lenny. Free Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you mentioned a lot of these split exercises. Are there other exercises that are just your favorites that you think you'll do forever and ever? Well, what's, what's interesting is I think on what will my life look like when I'm done running, when I'm retired, I don't plan on retiring anytime soon, but I definitely, um, I wonder if I'm going to be as active in the gym or if I'm just going to be like, screw all this, I'm just going to go skiing and, you know, Mm -hmm. not do any of these more traditional, you know, running and lifting exercises. But I do think, like I said, plank is just, if you're doing the form correctly, I think it's, it's a really useful exercise because it actually, and, and including side plank, because it actually gets your whole true real core, not just like crunches for vanity abs. Um, and so I'm sure I'll always plank just for like my back health, um, and, and core strength. And then, um, yeah, for me, really a lot of, um, I do single leg squats a lot and whether that's a pistol squat or um a skater squat i think that's a really great exercise for me because it forces me to use my glute um and obviously your quad is engaged a little bit as well but i think that for me is a really good glute activator exercise and really gets that um and so i'm i'll probably yeah do that and playing mm-hmm. are there exercises or just say, screw it i'm going to go ski Go ski. Well, and you could just ski on one leg for a little while. This concludes part one of our conversation with Emma Coburn. Be sure to check out part two. To keep up with Emma, follow her on Instagram at, at Emma Coburn and Twitter at, at Emma J Coburn. And be sure to tune in on NBC for the Prefontaine Classic at Hayward Field in Oregon on May 28th. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production. Mm-hmm.